the purpose or the reasons why Jesus came the first time. Because the coming of Jesus the first time and the coming of Jesus again connects with one another, related to one another. And so it's important that you and I know the reasons why he came the first time. I know that Christmas comes and everybody celebrates the birth of the Savior. All around the world, many people celebrate. They don't even know why they're celebrating, but most people believe that the Savior was born and that Jesus came to save us, which is true. But it's more than that. And so I've just written down seven points that I want to share with you. Don't get nervous. I might speak a little while on one point and then just mention the others. We'll see how it goes. I'm not going to take longer than what I should. But seven purposes for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very first reason or purpose why he came is to give his life a ransom for many. Matthew 20, 28, he says, the son of man came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom. Titus 2, 14 says, he gave himself to redeem us from our wickedness. Very clear, he came to redeem us from our wickedness. The theme of the Bible from Genesis right through to the book of Revelation is redemption. And every one of us should understand what redemption is all about. The word redemption means the recovery or the restoration of everything that has been lost because of sin. The restoration of all that has been lost because of sin. What did man lose because of sin? Well, we have to go to the book of Genesis. It says in the beginning, God created man uh, from the dust of the earth in his image and likeness. And he breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Adam and Eve were not born, they were created. They were created at the right age. God said to them that they must replenish the earth and they must multiply. In other words, they will be in charge and they will be in control of the whole earth. They were never going to die. They were going to live forever and ever because there was no death. Also, they had a wonderful relationship with God. They could walk in the cool of the day and they could talk with God because there was a relationship between the creature and the creator. But the moment they disobeyed God and ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they sinned against him. And God removed them from the Garden of Eden, removed them from his presence. So three things happened. The first thing happened that the fellowship that they had with God was destroyed. And in a sense, they became spiritually dead. Secondly, they were also then subject to sickness, disease, and death. The wages of sin is death. And the third thing is they lost control of the earth. And Satan, usurper, took over. So those are the three things that man lost because of sin. Now, when you read in the New Testament, you will find that it says that man is dead in his trespasses and sin. That means although he's physically alive, he's dead unto God. 
He's spiritually dead because of Adam and Eve. We also have a physical death. We've lost control of the earth. And so all those things have lost. Now, redemption is the restoration of all of those things. And you can read about redemption in the book of Leviticus. Uh, there are some several passages uh, that speak about redemption. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly that the book of Revelation will be the consummation of God's great plan of redemption. In fact, when you go to the final book in, in the Bible, the book of Revelation, uh, John has a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, there are many people today, they say they've seen Jesus. But when you read how they describe him, it doesn't add up with God's word. So you mustn't believe everybody who says they've seen Jesus. Here is the right revelation. Here is a man that was taken up to heaven and he had the clear revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, John says he was in heaven and he heard a voice saying, who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals thereof? And he looked around and he saw no one step forward to take that book. And so he wept because no one was found worthy. And then the elders said to him, don't weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judea. And so when he looks, he doesn't see a lion, he sees a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the lamb, takes the book and breaks the seals thereof. And John is rejoicing and they're very pleased that he is worthy. And they began to worship him and began to sing that he alone is worthy to open the books and to break the seals thereof. What is that? That is the final act in redemption. He taking, he's taking the title deeds and he breaks the seal of the title deeds and with the title deeds, Jesus will come back again and he will evict Satan and he will take charge and control of the earth once again and the earth will know the fullness and the glory of the Lord. Also, we can now return and be back into fellowship with God. There is a restoration. When Jesus died on the cross, we said, the Bible says we've been reconciled to God through the death of his son. He took the hand of a loving father and he took a hand of a sinful man and he brought them together so that once again, men and women who would surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ can have that intimate relationship with the God of glory. You can walk with him, you can talk with him. You can have this wonderful intimate relationship. He's not a God that is far off, but he's a God that is near because Jesus paid the price on Calvary for the restoration of everything that has been lost because of sin. And so fellowship has been returned to us. Also, life, although we die physically, uh, it's only the change room to eternity. And also the earth will be restored. So the, the very first thing that Jesus came for is for the redemption of mankind. Now the Bible tells us when you look around the world and you see all these things taking place, it says don't be discouraged, don't despair, but look up and rejoice because your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus is about to come, amen? And he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So the great theme of scripture 
is the theme of redemption. The second thing that reason why Jesus came the first time, he, he came to call sinners to repentance. It says in Luke 5, he said, Jesus said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I think that somewhere along the way, the church has lost the importance of repentance. I think today we have this mentality that salvation is just very easy and simple and you don't really have to change. But I want you to understand that Jesus, when he came the first time, he began his ministry emphasizing repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And just before he went back to heaven, he said, repent or perish. So repentance is absolutely important. Repentance means a change of mind, results in a change of outlook and an attitude and of behavior. And so men and women have to repent because that's why Jesus came. If you go to the book of Acts, it says that God now commands men and women everywhere to repent of their sin. Isn't it amazing that so many people today call themselves Christians? They say we're born again, but they're still doing the same thing they've always done. There's no change in their life. You see, that is what repentance does. Repentance brings change. And that's why it's so important that we understand that we need to repent before God. The Bible says it is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. If a man or a woman be in Christ, they're new creatures. All the old things pass away. Everything becomes new. And so the church must preach the message of repentance. In fact, when the church was birthed in the book of Acts, the very first message that was ever preached for the church was the message of repentance. Peter preached, repent. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came to save sinners. And therefore, when we are convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, he calls us to a place of surrender and a place of repentance. Maybe tonight you are a Christian and you've been saved for some time, but there's no change in your life. Maybe the problem is that you've never really repented. You've never really said to God, you're sorry for your behavior and for the things that you've done. And I tell you, the moment you surrender and you confess, God will forgive you, God will restore you, and your life will change completely. So we are called to repent. The third thing why Jesus came, he came to give everlasting life. Everlasting, eternal, means the same thing. Adam and Eve had no birthdays. They were going to live forever and ever and ever. But they lost that because of sin, but now Jesus has restored that. And so now man can live forever and ever. Oh, we know that we're going to die physically because it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. But when a Christian dies, he's just going through the change room where corruption must put on incorruption, mortality must put on immortality and then be resurrected unto eternal life. We as God's people, the moment we surrender to Christ, we receive life eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love that word, whosoever. A little girl once said, it's me, you, and everyone else. God so loved the world. He wants every single one of us to spend eternity with him. And by being born again, by repenting of your sin and surrendering to Christ, he gives us life eternal. The fourth reason why Jesus came the first time is to save us from condemnation. I often hear, and I do it myself, I just quoted John 3.16, but very few people quote John 3.17. And John 3.17 says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Those that don't believe are condemned already. He never sent His Son to condemn the world, but if the world doesn't believe, they are condemned already. So everyone walks under a cloud of condemnation because they've not surrendered to Christ. But that's why Jesus came. He came so that he can lift that cloud of condemnation so every one of us can be free. Many people today are in the kingdom and they still struggle with condemnation because come condemnation can come from different sources. The devil can bring condemnation. He's the accuser of the brethren and he can bring condemnation into your life and you begin to live life under this dark cloud without any hope. Other people can condemn you and you can condemn yourself. But there, the Bible says, but there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you surrender your life to Christ, the very first thing is he removes that condemnation that John 3.18 is speaking about. And any other condemnation that anyone has loaded upon you, including yourself, can be removed in Jesus' name and you can be free. He's come to remove condemnation. The first thing why Jesus come, he's come to destroy the works of the devil. It says in 1 John 3, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus came, grew up, he was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist. And while he was being baptized, heaven opened up. And God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended and came upon Jesus in the form of a dove. But at that moment, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, Jesus would begin to do what God had sent him to do. He would perform miracles and everywhere Jesus went in that physical body, everywhere Jesus went, there was the kingdom because he's the king of the kingdom. And that's why he said to them, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's why I say to people, don't get involved in all the stuff that's going on. It's, a, it's, it's part of the kingdom of this world and this kingdoms are going to come to naught. The only kingdom that is important is the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Now everywhere he went, there was a manifestation of the kingdom. And in uh, Luke 4, 18, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That doesn't mean people who don't have money. It means poor in spirit. Uh, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those that are oppressed. That's what Jesus said. If he says something, he does it. That's why the Holy Spirit came upon him, that he can set the captive free, that he can heal the brokenhearted. And wherever Jesus went, that's exactly what he did. When he came across a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, and Jesus himself said that this woman for 18 years has been under the bondage of the devil. He says Satan is the one who has bound her for these 18 years. And Jesus comes and he says, woman, you are loosed. And immediately she set free. What happened? He destroyed the work of the devil. This woman was free and she began to praise God and her whole life was changed and transformed. The Bible says there was a man that lived from the Gadarenes who lived in the graveyard. He was filled with demon spirits. He would cut himself and he would scream day and night. Can you imagine uh, the, the, the calamity of this man living there? What about his family? What were they thinking? How brokenhearted they must be. But one day Jesus came and Jesus rebukes the demons and casts them out and sets this man free, that this man who'd been crying day and night, running up and down in the graveyard was found sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. What did he do? He destroyed the works of the devil. When he was walking down the road, someone said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he looked around and he saw a blind man. He said, what do you want me to do for you? The man said that I may see. And Jesus said, laid his hands on him and he opened his eyes and he could see. What did he do? He destroyed the works of the devil. So everywhere Jesus went in his earthly ministry, in his physical body, he destroyed the works of the devil. That is now passed on to his spiritual body, the church. The church is supposed to be, have the anointing and the church is supposed to be breaking and destroying every work of the devil. Because now what's doing, the devil deceives and lies. He, his power is gone. Because Jesus struck in the ultimate death blow on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and was buried uh, and he rose again, that was a death blow to Satan. Satan was stripped of his power. The Bible says Jesus stripped him of his power, took from him the keys of hell and death rose triumphantly on the third day and said, I'm he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of hell and death. Satan has lost his power. He has no power over you. He can't twist your arm. He can't force you. He can only lie and deceive you because Jesus struck the ultimate blow. And so we, what does the Bible say now to Christians? What must you do when Satan attacks? It says resist him and he will flee from you. He's a coward. Far too many people uh, blame the devil for every little thing. He's a defeated foe. He's a lion without teeth. Because Jesus has given us the victory. Amen. And so he's come to destroy the works of the devil. And when he comes the second time, that will be the end of everything that the devil has ever done. That was a death blow. Then the, the sixth thing is to inaugurate his church. He came to inaugurate his church to launch, establish, or to set up, or to begin his church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaks to Peter. He says, Peter, who do the people say that I am? 
And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, you are the anointed one. And Jesus says to him, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven. You see, Peter received a revelation from God. He wasn't taught that in a Bible school or in a church setting. He received a direct revelation from God that Jesus is the anointed one. And Jesus says, upon this will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Not on Peter, but on Peter's statement that Jesus Christ is the anointed one. Jesus means savior, Christ means the anointed one. And upon that glorious truth, he said he will build his church. And when he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he wasn't speaking about the church that has strong walls around it that the enemy and the devil and the demons of hell cannot break in. He wasn't talking about that. He's talking about a triumphant, victorious church that will move forward in the power of his Holy Spirit and will overcome the works of darkness and defeat the devil wherever they go. That's what he meant. The beginning uh, of my, when I got saved, I thought that it means that the church has a big wall around and the devil can't get in. No, it's not that at all, amen? And so what happened on the day of Pentecost after his resurrection? He breathes unto men. He says, receive the spirit. They're born again. He tells them to wait to receive power. They wait to receive power. And Peter gets up. Now this Peter was a coward. Peter denied Jesus. He denied him. When the young girl said, I know you, you've been with that man, Jesus. The Bible says he swore. He was a coward. He was a wimp. But now he's anointed with the same spirit with Jesus was anointed. And he stands up and he speaks to those thousands of people. He says, you with your wicked hands have crucified the Lord of glory. And then he begins to preach from the very first message, repent every single one of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. And you also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says 3,000 people respond. And they were born again at that moment. They, they repented. They surrendered right there. And then it says about them and says, and these, that 3,000, continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. That's when the church was established. That's when Jesus' church was inaugurated in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is still an open book because it says in the beginning the things that Jesus began to do and teach. He's not finished doing. He's not finished teaching. Now he does his teaching and his doing, not through himself being present, but through his church, the body of Christ, amen? And so he came to establish his church. And when he comes back the second time, you'll see where the church fits in to his great plan. That's why I say the first coming and the second coming are tied together. And it's important that we hear these things. Number seven, he came to make way for the Holy Spirit. This is what he said. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. To you, But if I depart, I will send him, and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he will reveal that of mine to you. He will reveal Jesus to you. It is Jesus that makes, it, it is the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real to us. It is the Holy Spirit who is the teacher of the Word of God. 
It is the Holy Spirit who must convict men and women of sin and righteousness. Not our sad stories, not our little tales. That's not what's supposed to convict people. It's the Holy Spirit. And you've got to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ today. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. We must make room for the Holy Spirit. Our preaching, our singing, everything we do must be anointed by the Holy Spirit if we are to accomplish the great purpose of God. I wonder how many of us are coming to church and have never been filled with God's Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, singing to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart. God is looking for a church that is spiritful. He's looking for a church that will continue with His his purpose and His plan. God is not interested in my vision. God is not interested in my plan. He's interested in His purpose. And when I line up with His purpose, I can expect His blessing upon my life. And I believe God will bless His church as long as the church stays within the parameters of God's purpose and not go in its own way and its own direction. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we are called to stand firm on the Word of God. It because God's word will never, be, never pass away. And men and women will be judged by the word of God. So the first coming of the Lord Jesus is far more than just saving us. It's those things that I've shared with you and even more. But next time we'll speak about his second coming. He's coming again. Now, in the message tonight, where do you stand? Is there someone here tonight you've never, you've never been redeemed? You've never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you've never repented. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but you're still doing everything you've always done. No change. God can change your life around. He wants to. He wants to. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit that will help you every single day to walk in victory and to overcome. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Thank God that Jesus came the first time. But I'm telling you, the best is yet to come when He comes again. Amen. May God bless you.